Blog Talk Radio. Blog
everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. I know sometimes that doesn't happen because there are technical difficulties, but we do do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you cannot continue to listen online, you may call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227 and listen via your phone, but please, when you do, be sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. Here we all are, making our way in life, trying to find our spiritual path, when in fact, we are first spiritual beings who are having a human experience. And I know you've all heard that so many times before, and, and one would think because we are spiritual beings to start with, we wouldn't have a problem finding enlightenment. But then we need to remember that there is this one little thing that we are all being, and that one little thing that we are being is human. And we really ought not to come down so hard on ourselves or other people, actually, because we're all in the same boat and we're all made of the same stuff. The difference is we all have a unique journey that we ourselves chose, and our individual journeys have absolutely nothing to do with anyone else's journey, and yet our individual journeys have absolutely everything to do with everyone else's journey. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's somewhat oxymoronic. It's all of us blazing our own trails while at the same time navigating through the human experience along with everyone else as best we can so that we evolve and grow and become enlightened. And it's not always easy, it's not always fun, but it is always changing and presenting new experiences each and every day. And we are not, any of us, perfect, yet we are perfect in our imperfections. My guest tonight is Polly Campbell, author of Imperfect Spirituality, Extraordinary Enlightenment for Ordinary People, and that, dear listeners, means me and you and everyone else on this sphere we call home. Polly is a writer and speaker specializing in personal development and spirituality topics. Her work appears regularly in national publications. She is a blogger with Huffington Post and a teacher for Daily Om and Imperfect Spirituality. For more than two decades, Polly has studied and applied the techniques she writes and speaks about to on her own life. Good evening, Polly. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you being this evening? Do you love? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And I love that opening song. That was awesome. I love that song, too. Isn't it great? 33 Miles, I think, is who does that. I love really it. Really nice. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Not everybody notices or recognizes. Oh, Thank you for paying attention. I appreciate that. I just that. got into it. I, I was energized before we even started by listening to that thing. So, good job. I listen to it every morning before I meditate. Honest nice. To God. Yeah. Before I get out of bed, that song is playing. It plays in the car constantly. So, it nice. keeps me positive. I love your writing style. It is so easy Thank to you. read, and it and it's so humorous which is very endearing to the reader because we can see how, you know, very ordinary each and every one of us is and we can relate to so many of the stories and anecdotes and life experiences that you share. It's a great, it really is a great way to talk about spirituality because, you know, people think you have to go to a church or you have to be quiet or you have Hmm. to, you know, sit and meditate for hours on end and 
that's not it at all, at least not for me. And after I read your book, I said it's not it at all for her either. (laughs) Right. Well, good. I'm glad the book resonated because that's really my life. It's messy and busy and engaging and interesting and and all those things. And and when we can sit back and, and relax and experience our life instead of trying to figure out, I think it really opens up for us. Absolutely, and and that, I think, is what makes it so wonderful because your life is just like everybody else's life. Yeah. There's so much to relate to. But there had to be something that inspired you to write your book. Was there an inspiration for the book at all? Yeah, you know, like like you said in the, in the intro, I, I have practiced this stuff for years. I'm fascinated by personal development, by spirituality, by really expanding and growing. But about six years ago, I had a series of transitions in my life, and um, one was that I had a baby, and after she was born, I I scaled back my work schedule, which meant also adjusting our finances, and uh, it changed my relationship with my husband just because we had a baby in the house, you know, and and that was a huge transition for me, and at the same time, I was diagnosed with melanoma, and all these Mm -hmm. things, all these changes were coming up at the same time, and I didn't handle it well. Um, I began by blaming my husband for all the problems and the lack of communication and my dissatisfaction. And then I, I said, well, when I get back to go back to work more, then I'll be happier. Or when she's older. And I really had to sit back and look at, at what was happening. And, and what I experienced was a disconnect. I was disconnected from myself, from the essence of who I am. And I think what happened is is with all those transitions in my life, I stopped doing the regular practice that I'd been doing for years. So when I'd sat, sit down to meditate, it no longer worked like it had for me to find peace and insight because there was a baby screaming in the back bedroom. And by uh, the end of the day, I really wanted a glass of wine and a shower. You know, I did not <laughs> want to contemplate or journal or those other things that I had always done. So this disconnect then took me out of myself, and, and whenever we do that, we go into our analytical brain and our ego, and we blame, and we try to fix, and we try to solve. When I realized that all I needed to do was return to who I am, who we all are, then it gave me, it regrounded me and helped me reconnect with my spiritual center, and, and the book really evolved out of that, because the traditional principles I use and the practices, which are fabulous, didn't work for me. I needed to be able to find peace while I was washing bottles at the sink. You know, I I needed to be able to be mindful with when I was rocking a baby to sleep, and and I needed to be able to practice in practical ways throughout the course of my day. And and that's really what this book is about: how to do that and why we need to and, do that. And that makes sense because when I was shopping for a new religion, <laughs> you know. Because I consider myself a recovering Catholic. Um, okay. And when, I was, when I was shopping for a new religion, I just couldn't find anything that was working for me. So, yeah. you know, I understand exactly what you were saying. It's finding the time. And people will say, well, I don't have time to. And I'll think, oh, see, but you do. You know, right. you just don't you do. think you know, and well, and I don't think you have time not to. You know, my dissatisfaction yeah. was so profound that why would I want to stay in that place? Why would I want to stay stuck in the in the challenge instead of being able to rise above it and, and find meaning in those moments? Yeah, and I think a lot of people have a spiritual. I mean, I have a spiritual practice, a, a formal mm-hmm. spiritual practice, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do, but I also think many people have a spiritual practice and they don't know it because mm-hmm. to me. Spiritual practice is being aware in the moment with what you're doing and what's going on around you. And when I refer to, like, my own spiritual practice, there is the formal part, like I said, the way I start my day and end my day through meditation and a gratitude journal Mm -hmm. on both ends of the day. And 
you know, that's but that's not all of it. I know I'm in a spiritual practice throughout the day as well. Mm-hmm. How do you define spiritual practice? I think it's uh, it's it's first of all it comes from a commitment to grow and expand in and to connect with your essence with the thing that provides meaning in your life. And then it's something you do every day. I mean, like you said, it's fundamental. I don't think it has to be more than that. For instance, if you have an hour to meditate every day, I certainly think that's valuable. But if you have 10 minutes to walk around the block in the neighborhood and you do that mindfully, like you were saying, that is also a spiritual practice. I think it demands your attention. I think it requires commitment and dedication to step into the space of of openness and uh, mindfulness. And... And I think it requires some quiet. I think you have to find now, and I think you can be quiet even in a busy workplace. I think you can find the uh-huh. quiet within. But it's it's an active listening for what shows up when you're in that space. So really, I think you know, I have a friend who says this is all good for me because now I, I do meditate. I, my spiritual practice grows and changes, and I'm back to meditating again. And uh-huh. and I have a friend who says that's oh that's. That's great for you. I could never do that. But this girl, this woman, runs five miles a day without any iPod or anything. She <laughs> runs five miles a day, every day. And she's she committed to that. Meditating? Yeah. She, she yeah. And, and that is a, that's what I told her, too. That's a spiritual mm-hmm. practice. So yep. it, it does require you to commit and, and to find that thing that, that brings meaning and relationship um, into your life, you know, it's about connecting on a deeper level, but it can be anything if it if it feels good to you and if it if it allows you to find that quiet space that and in that quiet then we can expand and and gain insight. Sure, I mean even you know a good example is when people say they don't have time to do anything but they love to garden. That's perfect. Right. You're outside, you're grounding you with mother nature. But even in the house, you know, yeah. the buzzer goes off on the wash on the dryer and you go and you get the clothes and you're folding them. That's a very, I know people are thinking seriously, Chi, it's a very zen <laughs> thing to do. But it really is. I agree. You're just yeah. like going, I know it becomes rote and you're just going through the motions of doing it. But you're doing it every week and it's the same thing over and over again. And it is a practice. And if you just look at what you're doing and take that moment just to be, oh, thank God I don't have to think about yes. anything else. and just. You yeah. can, yeah, build anything. If you can direct your attention to that laundry, you're going to have a different experience, and you're going to feel better than when you started. You know, I, I prayed in the shower this morning. That's the time mm-hmm. I had. It was a prayerful experience, and I feel like that was part of my spiritual practice today. Sure it is. I mean, I'm in the shower. I get some of my best ideas in the shower. I'll just say, okay, Absolutely. Yeah, the water's running. Let's go. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. But it's funny that you should say anything that you can do that will make something more pleasant uh, and that, that's a very true statement. I remember um, my linen closet. I don't particularly like to do laundry and fold, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but on my linen closet, on the edges of the shelves, I took what's called hamburg lace, which has purple running through it. My favorite color is purple. And mm-hmm. I, I adhered it to the front so that when I go and put the stuff away, at least I like looking at the shelves. And I thought, okay, well, that makes me happy. So, you know, yeah. I mean, people are like, seriously, you did that to your shelving? I'm like, yeah, seriously, I did. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's, you know what? Yeah, I, I don't think spirituality necessarily makes you blissful in every moment, nor does it make you right. skinny or rich, or, but it can change, it can transform the experience you're in. So what you're saying about laundry is true. When I fold my clothes, and I don't like folding clothes, but when I do it mindfully, then I feel such gratitude for the clothes that I have to fold. It transforms that experience from a chore into a practice that, that uplifts me in the moment. And you just said it. It's all about the gratitude, too, because when you can see the gratitude in things, you it automatically shifts you. 
Yes. Yeah. You just automatically. You know, the title of your book is really, I mean, nobody has, when I told people, oh, yeah, the title of the show is Imperfect Spirituality, they're like, really? I like that. I like You can oh, be good. imperfect and be spiritual. And I thought, yeah, you can. <laughs> How did you come up with that title? It is so clever. You know, I had all these um, rah-rah kind of cheerleader titles set out, and everyone I talked to said, well, tell me what the book is about. And then I told them that, you know, it's really about making your own rules and, and finding your own way what resonates with you for spiritual practice and, and embracing all that you are, even the flaws and imperfection. It's kind of imperfect spirituality. That's what I, how I described the book. And they're like, that's your title. And I really railed against that because it felt like a mouthful to me, but the further I got into my own study and my own practice and the research for this book, it could be nothing else because so many people are stopped um, by this image that we have to go to India or pay big money for a retreat or right. sit in, in meditation in a certain position in a certain room for two hours a day. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. And And the point is that you can make your own way. There are no set rules, no doctrine you absolutely have to do to to be a spiritual being. You already are one. This is about just reconnecting with that essence. So uh, whatever whatever resonates with you, um, you can develop into a practice that, that supports your growth. It's so true. You know, and I think that the fact that it's called imperfect spirituality really resonates with more people because people do think you have to go and, you know, become a monk or go to India right. and, and do something. And you can't possibly be spiritual if you've never been to India. And it's like, okay, well, there's a whole bunch of ego getting in the way. You know, right. And, and right. you're spiritual. Okay, God bless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many people do you know that have been stopped from meditation because they think they can't do it right? They can't sit still long enough or whatever it is. Oh. You know, well, some days I, I'm not real still. Some days that's just my experience. And that's okay some days, you know. Well, and I tell people, look, the Dalai Lama doesn't do this every day properly, okay? <laughs> We're human. We're human, you know? I mean, we, we are having a human experience, and this is part of our growth. It's just right. to really be able to set yourself and bring yourself back, be aware. I think the more aware that you are, the more that you can make these changes, and you can see things. You can see the gratitude, and you can see the moments that you can spare for meditation. Even if you're standing in line, gosh, let's right. take the registry of you know, who likes going there? You know, stand there and watch what's going on. Or when you're – anything like that that's happening. Or even uh, we had a hurricane here in uh, in October and standing yeah. in line to vote. Nobody wanted to leave because it was the only place in the county that was warm. So, yeah. you know, everybody wow. in this huge barn. It's okay. You can go next. And, you know, but even standing in line and trying to – to be spiritual like that, you know, to just enjoy that moment, whether you have to or not. Just be aware right. of it. Um, and, and allow it. You know, next time you get into the car to run your errands, turn off the radio. Be quiet mm-hmm. in the car. You know, next time you check out at the grocery store, look the checker in the eye and say thank you. These are spiritual behaviors that connect you with the highest part of yourself and you're just going to feel better. If we can reduce our stress in the moment, we're going to be healthier, we're going to be more active and productive, we're going to be happier people, and that will change the world. Yep, and I think a lot of people think being spiritual means you need to deprive yourself, whether that means deprivation of food or money or, or your shelter or your vehicle, type of vehicle, whatever. They compare themselves to others and feel others who have more cannot possibly be spiritual because they aren't as giving or as empathic because if they were, they wouldn't have all that they have. And in my mind, that's so many different kinds of wrong thinking. There's no number large enough to define it. This type of thinking creates a block to me, which ultimately causes them to stop where they are and not move forward to fulfill their own passion or their own destiny 
So, yeah. so that brings the question up. How do they get past all that thinking without feeling selfish themselves? Well, I think it starts with personal responsibility and and really looking at the things that are working in your life, just you, the things that feel good. Excuse me, is your relationship what you would want it to be? Is your body as healthy as you'd like it to be? Do you have money in the bag? And if you answer no to any of those questions, then sit still for a minute and look at the limiting beliefs that are behind them because usually when something isn't working the way we like, when we're not in flow in that area of our life, it's because there's some structure holding us, some arbitrary belief that we develop. I'll give you an example. I'm a writer, and for a long time, I was just making barely enough money to pay my bills. Barely enough. I always made enough to have my house and all that, but nothing extra. And every time I was set up to go over the edge and make a little more, something came into play. And when I did this exercise and really looked at the areas of my life that were working and weren't and came back to this money issue, I discovered that I had this belief that good writers never really make any money. They do it for the love of the art. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to be a good writer, and I somehow subscribed to this belief that that meant I had to be poor. I think that is crazy. But once I realized it, then I could illuminate that. I could choose a better, more helpful belief. And over time of practicing that belief, then tangible behaviors came out of that, which elevated my financial status. So I think first we need to be aware of where we are at. And you cannot do that by looking outside of yourself. If you are comparing yourself to somebody else, that's, there's a limiting belief at work. Go back and look at that yep. area of lack in your own life and figure out where that came from. And once you see it, it diffuses its power, then you can begin to take on behaviors and and helpful beliefs that are going to support your growth. That's one aspect of it. Absolutely. It's funny. I just had a conversation with somebody not more than an hour and a half ago, and I was saying to her, you know, in every single situation, we are the teacher and the student. And she described her situation to me where someone said something to her, and she took it as as very hurtful, but this is the way this person is. And she said, how was I the teacher? And I said, you were the teacher because you could have come back with a different response that wouldn't have been mean or nasty. It just would have been, okay, well, that's their belief. It's not my belief. And that person should learn from you. Just because they're not learning doesn't mean you're not teaching. You're always a teacher and you're always a student. It's always a give and take. There's that exchange of energy in all situations. You just have to be aware of it. And I think if you can look at things like that instead of comparing, because comparing is the worst thing in the world to do. Yeah. You you just can't compare yourself to anybody else. You're not that person. You know, and I, I've been I've been traveling quite a bit to talk about this book and these ideas and so forth. And and one thing that comes up time and time again is that how can you how can you talk about this stuff? You know, when when people are being killed and there's worldwide poverty and people don't have enough money or enough food or enough enough enough. And right. and the bottom line to me is it's very fundamental. Be kind to your kids. Be good to your friends. Take care of your business. You know, when you you cannot find world peace if you're beaten on the people you're living with. It just will not work. So be the peace. Be the abundance in your own life. Watch it work in your own life. Take care of your own business, and it will expand. We there, There's a scientific principle called emotional contagion, which says we share emotions. We catch them from each other. And we all know this. If right. you're having a great day and, and your partner walks in and, and he or she's in a in a rotten mood, then automatically the mood of the house comes down. Well, we mm-hmm. do this with kindness and gratitude and love. When you are around a kind person, 
they're kind to you, you pass that kindness on because you catch it from them. You're elevated by that experience of kindness. So start in your own neighborhood. Take care of your own kid. Take care of your own school. Be the best parent you can be. Be the best worker you can be. And that will spread outward until we infect all of this with this change, with this good energy. And and in that way, in a very real way, I totally agree with you. We are the teacher and we are the student. And even when you're minding your own business, you are teaching because you are showing what yep. can be. That's right. Yep. And this is an epidemic we would like to see out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's epidemic proportions, one. you know. Yeah. yeah. This is a right. good one. It's funny because I said that to her, too. I said, you know, that the more you just pay attention to yourself and do what you have to do to the best of your ability, no matter what it is, the more you will see that other people will be drawn to you because yes. of the fact that you are like that. And they'll be like people, kindred people, kindred spirits. You won't have to worry yeah. about dealing with these negative people, you know. Well, and as I, you know, it, it, it changes the energy completely. You know, you can feel the energy shift. So it goes, oh, yeah. And- yeah, it, you know, no longer is it. Oh, you could cut the air with a knife. You know, I mean, yeah. you don't, you don't do that anymore. I loved your chapter on everyday courage. You know, oh, people thank you. don't think of courage in the way you wrote about it, but we are indeed courageous each and every day. And I thought of the three of them: the physical courage, the moral mm-hmm. courage, the psychological courage. To me, and maybe this is just me, but. The psychological courage was probably the one that is most often exercised by people on a daily basis because you don't always take the courage to be physical and, and run a marathon. And right. moral courage, is, you know, it, it, if you're morally right, you don't have to worry about being courageous about it. But psychological courage, to me, it just seemed that that one would be the one that was the most popular, if you will. Yeah, and, it's the one I hear a lot about. It's not one we talk much about either. So uh, I think... I I think it's an important thing, first of all, to know that we are all courageous. And simply because you haven't defined yourself that way doesn't mean it's not there. We're born with some degree of this stuff. You know, it's innate. And the rest of it can be developed. We can practice it. And and part of that is done by becoming aware of what we're doing all the time. So you discover a lump and you go to the doctor. You make an appointment. That is psychological courage. You decide that you're too Glass of, uh, two glasses of wine a night after work is becoming a habit that you can no longer control. That takes psychological courage. Psychological courage is when we are brave enough to look at our life and confront or become aware to the things that maybe are less than or things that aren't how we would like to see ourselves or how we'd like to live. And then we are in a position where we can accept them and change them if we so decide. But, but that takes some real courage to look and say, ah, oh, this marriage isn't what I want it to be because that's a vulnerable position to mean to to acknowledge some of our imperfections. You know, we're we don't we're not comfortable doing that. But only when we do that do we get stronger and more courageous, and then real change can happen. And I think too, even even something as simple as learning to say no. That's definitely mm. psychological courage, especially women. Women have a hard time saying no, I think, more right. than men. Women will right. agree and say, yes, and oh, I'll help you with this, and then all of a sudden they're overwhelmed with all the stuff they have to do. But it does take the psychological courage. I really love that chapter. I thought that was Thank so – you. Yeah, that was a great one. That one was so important. I, you know, I mean, I love the whole book. Don't get me wrong, but that one I was like, oh, this people need. This is really good. Well, good. Really good stuff. So, you know, yeah, I, I like that we, a lot. When, when you – decide that the best thing for you to do is quit your job to stay home with your baby or the best thing the best thing for your family is for you to go back to work when when you know that is psychological courage it's sometimes doing the thing that is uncomfortable or scary but trusting 
that you can do it. And once you do, you get stronger and better. But yeah, I think it shows up in in every moment. It, it's it's taking the risk when you don't see the money in the bank account to support it sometimes because you need to build your nonprofit or whatever it is in your life and believing that you are enough to cope with whatever comes. I, th- I think that takes real courage. And I think women in particular, um, I think what you said about saying no, it also means to say yes and stake out time. Yes, I am worthy of this time to myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, I deserve a break. Yes, I deserve uh to go, you know, on vacation or or have this time alone or whatever it is. It's okay to step into your life and and own those moments and and then listen and feel for the insights and see what shows up for you. That's how we grow. Yeah, and take your power back, you know, and be Absolutely. who you're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. We're talking with Polly Campbell, author of Imperfect Spirituality, Extraordinary Enlightenment for Ordinary People. And you can learn more about Polly by visiting her website, www.imperfectspirituality.com. Okay, so many people are rushing in to get to the next best whatever that they don't see what they have now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they have to have this, they have to have this. And they don't realize they're accumulating all this other stuff, regardless of what it is. They don't see that they have it now. They're not grateful for what they do have. In your chapter three, I believe it was, um, working with what is, the path yeah. to acceptance. I, I liked that chapter, too. You want to speak to the practicality of everyday acceptance? Thank you. This is this was a really... Uh, I mean, I, as you said before, I practice all this stuff, and, and this is a chapter that is part of my ongoing practice. What we do in our life is we create a story around everything we do. So we go uh, to work, and our coworker doesn't talk to us that morning, and we have created a story that somehow she's mad at us or that we have failed or the boss is going to lay us off or whatever. And by the end of the day, we're all stressed. We're going to be laid off when all that happened is the coworker didn't speak to us in the morning. Or uh, we don't communicate well with our partner, and, and we create a storyline around what that means. We're getting divorced, or you married the wrong guy, or whatever it is. Acceptance is really about looking at the truth of life as it is in that moment, because as we know, those moments change too. And it's looking at what is without the drama, without the story around it. So I have I, I live in a home that has a, a whitish carpet. I say whitish because I also have a six-year-old and two cats, so it's not so white anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big stain on the way to the kitchen where I walk every morning to get my cup of coffee when I'm working. Every morning I would walk by that stain and I would create the drama. I'm, oh, God, look at that stain. I need to have the carpet yep. clean. Oh, we can't afford to have the car. Oh, my God, I need new carpet. Oh, I have nothing. My life is, you know, and pretty soon I'm all stressed out about a stain on the carpet. So by practicing what is, I walk by that stain and I say, oh, there's a stain on the carpet right here by the kitchen, and then I just keep on going. That is the truth. In that moment, I get a clear-eyed view of what there is there on the floor, but I don't have to embellish it with any drama or storyline about how that means I can't keep a house or we don't have money or whatever it is. And it alleviates so much stress from your life, and it does another thing. It gives you clear-eyed information. So if you look at your marriage and you can say, we are not communicating in a way that is helpful to us, then you have something to work with. If you look at your marriage and you say, well, he's a jerk and he'll never talk to me and this is the best I could do, then you're just stuck in that place. But when you see what is, the reality without the drama, you feel less stressed and then you have something to work with and you can decide to accept, to stay in it, to change it, or to grow with whatever the situation is and, and reframe it to something that works and feels better to you. I, I don't think we do this enough, and, and I, by saying that, I mean me. I, I constantly am in this practice of, of sitting, okay, what is the truth in this moment? What is it without the drama, you know? And, and uh, it's been helpful to me. 
I think that's true of a lot of people, though. I think they don't realize it. And again, it's a, we go back to the awareness factor. Because once you are aware of what somebody says to you because you're actually listening, you're not just like hearing them, you're actually listening to them. There's right. a difference between the meaning and those two words. A lot of people don't know that. You know, and it's like if you're really listening to them and you hear what they say and you're listening and paying attention, you can come back with something and, and be aware that, okay, all right, now I need to accept that this person is the way that they is, that they are. Do I want to have that person around me all the time or do I want to change that and how am I going to change it? Because it isn't me, it's their, that's their baggage. And right. when we start bringing in baggage, because uh, people have said to me, well, you know, I had a horrible childhood. And it's like, yeah, you know, haven't we all? So get over it because now you're like 40, <laughs> 50, or 60 years old and you've got kids of your own or grandkids of your own. And I'm thinking it's time to stop using that excuse and, and playing the victim. And right. as harsh as that sounds, it's the God's truth. It's about accepting responsibility. So if you're seeing behavior in a person that, is, that isn't what you like, they're not behaving badly. They get to be however they want to be. You have an opportunity to see what that is and accept it without judgment and then decide what to do about it. Stay away from them, you know, get in counseling with them, make other friends, whatever it is going to be. But, but, yes, when we start to judge others, when we start to judge ourselves or judge situations as right or wrong or good and bad, which we're in the habit of doing in this culture, by the way, you know, we look yep. at life in terms of right or wrong or good or bad really everyone's just doing what they're supposed to be doing on their own path you can decide whether to have that in your life or not but that's your responsibility not something they need to fix to make you feel better right right and and working with what is is really increasing your awareness and when we do that that's when we are in acceptance. It's not necessarily right. condoning anything. It's just right. accepting of it. And there is a difference. Absolutely. I, I don't think this is resignation. I don't think it's it's allowing. I don't think it's condoning. It's not giving in. It's, it's none of those things. It's a very active thing. It's a choice to say, okay, I want to see the truth here. All right, now I see it. And, and then you take responsibility for the next move instead of blaming that or, or putting that on someone else. And, and sometimes there's not a move. Sometimes acceptance can be, I'm uncomfortable in this situation. Okay, be uncomfortable. That's okay. That's okay sometimes, you know, and necessary sometimes. So it, it really takes the judgment. And, and when you remove the judgment, you remove the drama because it's when we start to, again, compare or judge or blame that we feel unhappy and we get stuck in a cycle that doesn't allow for movement or change or growth. And that is just an icky place to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to be It's hard to get out of that, too. You know, it can and you have be, to yeah. have a, yeah, it can be very difficult. But once you're aware, you can kind of turn it around before you go down that rabbit hole too far. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. um, now you had another, your chapter eight, practicing faith and building optimism. This is a big one. It's not mm -hmm. always easy to maintain faith. And I have trouble with this when it comes to me, myself, and I. I have no mm -hmm. trouble when it comes to others. I have no trouble teaching anybody, you know, kids how to knit or sew or crochet or do cross-stitch or bake or cook or anything like that. <laughs> but when it comes to my personal stuff, like something I don't have control over, that's when the faith is an issue. And I think yeah. that's true of a lot of people. Yeah, me too. And I think that's that's very much part of the human thing you were talking about, the human experience, you know. We are sensitive souls, and I mean that in a very physical way. We feel and we taste and we touch. And and so we get all this empirical evidence. And, and faith, there's nothing really tangible. In fact, this was a hard chapter to write because 
because people have different visions and views of this, and there's not always something tangible to hold. And the way I think about faith is it's really the trust that where I am right now is just where I need to be, that the information I need, the meaning in it, the things I need for my growth will appear. And I may not know what they are. I might not see them for a long time, and I might be uncomfortable for a while. But to trust that every minute is there for me to support me as this spiritual being. And, um, you know, that isn't always comfortable. There's, you know, cancer is not a fun thing. And that's something that no. I that I dealt with. And, and marriage challenges and financial issues that people are facing and health issues and, and you know, violence. And the things that we are, are looking at as, as a people and a culture, they are really uncomfortable. It is very hard when you're hurting physically or emotionally mm-hmm. to sit in that space and say, oh, but this is just where I need to be. And, again, that's a time not to judge the experience, but to be in it and say, okay, I feel pain. I'm going to experience that. I'm going to trust that I will move through that and get something from that. And whenever that lesson appears, I'll be ready. But right now, I'm going to just experience my life. And um, and I think we we automatically want to feel better. So we do things instantaneously to move through that. We drink too much or we shop or we surf Facebook or whatever it is so we don't have to feel those those emotions. But I think that is part of it. And in that moment of doubt or pain, if you can root yourself in what you do have faith in, the sun does come up each day on this planet. It mm-hmm. does happen. Then it, it reminds you that there is plenty that we don't know about that still is working for us. Our heart beats, and most of us don't really understand the billions of cells and how they work together to make that happen for us. You know, I can still, I can still see the stars at night, and I really don't know how the universe came to be. And and mm-hmm. so it, it's those times when you can, if you can root yourself in something that is working without you needing to manage or do anything at all, then it can help you get through those moments of doubt and, and concern. Because certainly we all have them. It's, it's part of our experience. But it doesn't mean you're less than. It doesn't mean that you're not a spiritual being. It's part of the experience. Yeah, and it's not always easy either because it's that waiting which turns to the word patience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, patience is a yeah. tough one, you know. It Absolutely. really is a, that one because if you've been doing something for quite some time and nothing is happening, and you're thinking, "I'm just sitting here waiting, being patient, and living in the moment, and doing my life," but I really expected this one thing to come about or this other thing to come, and it's not. You can really start to lose faith and yeah. have the doubt come up big time, and I think that's when. Um, you know, I mean, I work with a lot of cancer people. I've had cancer myself, and I've worked in a lot of hospice situations. And it's amazing because you actually see a lot more faith in people who have mm. these issues yeah. than you do in people who don't. Well, and I, you know, I think and I, faith and requires a certain detachment as well, an ability to sit back and and uh, and say, okay, this, you know, I, I got to surrender to this. I'm not going to, there, there's not one way this needs to go. I don't need to have any particular outcome. I'm just going to experience whatever comes and trust that I'm good enough and I, that I'm able enough to handle it. And, um, 
when we are not attached to a certain outcome, it takes some of that pain away. When we can accept what is, it takes some of that pain away. And sometimes that's enough of a shift. You may not feel good, but you might feel just enough where you can get over the next hump uh, in the next moment of your life and and feel a little bit better. And after a while, you string enough of those little bit better moments together, and and you do better. It, It works. Yeah, I I like that you put practicing faith in with building optimism because if you can build the optimism, the faith shows up a whole lot more easily. Yeah. You know, know, if you can find something. I think this stuff is active, and and you talk about it too. This isn't, you just don't sit here and wait for um, enlightenment to hit. Now, there yeah. are people who have become enlightened instantaneously, and, and if you have, then call me, and I'll be so jealous, and I want to know what that's like, and all. But that is not me. For me, this is a real exercise, and this is real animating. It's an active thing. So, when I'm in doubt, then then um, I think optimistic thoughts, and I behave optimistically, and then I do it again, and then I do it again, and pretty soon. You know those those that behavior and and those thoughts take over my life and and steer me in the direction I want to go. But sometimes it's a constant reminder. Oh no, I'm not going to get attached to that. I'm going to let that go, or I'm going to accept this. Sometimes it's every five minutes. Oh, I remember I accepted that. It's a it's mm-hmm. a very sometimes fundamental active thing for me. I want to meet the people who are instantaneously enlightened because I don't know <laughs> any do. of them, and I just am like, I don't think they exist. Because somebody said, to me, you know, when did you reach enlightenment? I said, well, you'll probably be on the other side because I don't think you get it here. I don't. But Dalai Lama's alive. I'm sorry, we're human. We have human stuff going on. Nobody's that evolved, or you wouldn't be here. You would be something else. Right. You, right. No, I just. Maybe that's just my belief. It's like I don't think there's anybody on the planet that's totally enlightened. And if somebody tells me, I'm going to say, okay. Okay, and just walk away thinking, wow, so many things highly of themselves. <laughs> I'm just not getting that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. The um, the other thing about your book is that you offer different things for people to do in order to uh, create and become more creative. You know, like the, you talk about the stages of creativity, which yeah. I think – you know, it's really good because people, if you are being creative, and nobody's saying, people will say, well, I'm not creative. It doesn't mean you're an artist. It doesn't right. mean that, you know, you are, you know, some kind of a protege. It just means that you, we all are creative. Right. And, and, you, and we all are. It's how we're wired. They can see it in our brain. We are part of this, you know. We are mm-hmm. made of the same things that created the stars and the universe and all of that. We are that energy. And, and so why would it just end in us? You know, why would you be the one person that, that couldn't do it? But there are levels of creativity. And, and, you know, some like Mozart and Shakespeare and Picasso, and the, they're master creators. What they're doing is, is, is changing the experience in the world with their art. But the rest of us, you can be creative in how you deal with a two-year-old's temper tantrum. You can be creative in how you handle a project at work or how you deal with an illness. There are Creativity is, is really about how you look at the situation, how you develop something new from the circumstances that are before you, how you think about it, how you live with it. I, I think I've never met a person who's not creative. I've met lots of people who don't define themselves as creative, but it's within yeah. you. It's mm-hmm. within you, yeah. Yeah, I believe that too. I read that and I thought, oh, good, she's saying what I absolutely think because it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to sit there and, and people will say, well, I can't match colors. I can't, okay, that is right. that is a creative thing, but that's one aspect. 
Right. You know, if you can creatively figure out how to put dinner on the table for under five dollars uh, a plate at night, be, you're being very creative. Absolutely, right. You know, you go into the grocery store with your coupons. You do that's very creative. I don't do coupons. I think they should just lower the prices. The coupons are wasting paper. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like stop killing trees and just mark all the prices down for all all of us. You know, um, but that is a very creative thing for people to do. They do do that, and that's and I think right. people aren't aware of how creative they actually can be, and they find a passion in it. Mm-hmm. They can find, you know, a real passion in, in just being creative in that way. It, and it really goes to, um, you know, like you were saying, this isn't about the art you create. It's about problem solving, and it's about living your life dynamically and organically. And it's it's about really stepping in the moments and seeing what you can create. It's about creating a life. You know, that's what we're talking about here. And, and living with awareness and, and practicing the beliefs that will support that and, and going to your passion, living from your passion and, and doing new things. Drive home a different way from work one day. You will be shocked at what you notice in your neighborhood. Just by, You know, mm-hmm. the other day, I always sit in this one chair in my house when I'm done with work and my husband, my, my kid's in bed and we're out there talking and I sit in the chair and he sits on the end of the couch. Last night I sat on the other end of the couch. There's different lighting it changed how I looked at my whole room. It changed how we talked. We were closer on the couch. It changed everything, and all I did was sit in a new section of the couch. So we need that novelty. We, it, it's, it's, we're wired to want those things, to expand into that. And, and by doing those things, you begin to live with your creativity, and then other things become easier because you become more of a problem solver. You become more resourceful. Your communication changes because you can see greater possibility. And it fundamentally shifts how you move through the day. And that segues very nicely into allowing for flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we have to allow for flexibility because life changes, and we have to be ready to to look at things in a different way and look at somebody's perspective. Somebody might say th- something to you that you feel is hurtful or mean or whatever, and you have to remember, okay, wait, it's not about me. It, it's This is their stuff. And look mm-hmm. at the perspective. So just like sitting on the other end of the chair, try to put yourself in what they're saying at you and realize it in a different way. It's kind of hard to do, but when you practice it, it almost becomes a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. And I, I, it becomes magical, you know, because all of a sudden you see things you never saw before, and it becomes interesting. You get curious. I, um, I, I like to add just a little, like a new recipe or, or something new to my life because it reminds me what else I'm capable of because we all get stuck in the routine and that is energy draining. You know, that doesn't always feel good, but when we start to open up in these little ways, then other things follow and, and uh, flexibility is a big part of that. And, and sometimes that means saying yes. I think often it means saying yes when you feel like saying no. And I'm, I'm not talking like ridiculous yeses, but if it's something in your, yes. in your scheme of life that, that fits and that you're safe and that, you're not doing because you're afraid or whatever, then then say yes once and go out to the coffee with the guy or, or you know, go to a new restaurant or try a new food or whatever and just notice what happens in your life. You're going to feel excited and, and more energized than you have in a while. Yeah, and just being very mindful of that which you are doing and yet being flexible within your mindfulness. Yeah. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah, and... and Knowing, noticing when that stretch, I, you know, I, I would say that, that flexibility and I, it's something that I work on constantly because I'm very predictable. I have a whole schedule and this is what I'm going to do. But the greatest joys of my life and some of the best friendships have come when the plan has broken down. 
And I wouldn't say I was happy about it at the time, but often when we back away from the predictable routine, we leave space for the things that we most need and desire in our lives to arrive. we got to open up to that. So when you can, I call it splant, planned, excuse me, planned spontaneity. So, you know, pick a Wednesday. I'm going to be spontaneous today. Don't decide what you're going to do, but just know that it's going to be something you never expected that comes into your life and you're going to say yes to it. And um, and good things happen that way, and, and it reminds us who we are as spiritual people too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like the, uh, when you were talking about um, other things that people can do is like create a trigger. I do this a lot. Mm. You create a trigger so that you are more aware when something happens. And I know one woman told me, one author was on, I can't remember which one it was, and she said, sometimes people will ask me a question. She says, it's okay to just not say anything. You just stand there and take a deep breath and figure out what you're going to say. And I thought, oh, yeah, you can do that, can't you? Yeah. That's being very mindful and very aware, and it's not giving anyone an excuse like saying, let me think on that. You're actually taking a breath to decide how to respond. It's more awkward for the other person who's waiting for the response than it is for you, the person, you know. Right. But I never thought to do it, and I, that's a really good idea. I like that, and I've used it, and it works. It's very Yeah, effective. that is. I'm going to try that. That is a good idea. She says, you can just stop, and you can just take a breath. And you can determine what you want to do and not say anything. And I thought, wow. Now, I've done things like people will ask me a question that I think is personal. I can't think of one right now. Well, let's say, well, typically women don't like to have um, people ask what their age is. So somebody said, well, what's your age? If that bothered me, I might say, well, why do you want to know? And if they say, well, I'm just curious, I'd say, oh. And then they might say, well, you know, are you going to answer the question? No, I'm not. I really don't think it's any of your business. I mean, you know, you can say that, and it's not rude. Now, some people think, well, that's rude. Well, don't you think it's rude that they asked me what my salary was or they asked me how much I spent on addition on the house or how much, you know what I mean? It's not rude to say that, to say, no, I just don't think it's really any of your concern, but thank you for inquiring. I mean, you can say it in a polite way, and yeah. it's being mindful, and it's telling, and you're taking your power back, and you're not doing anything wrong. You know, and I think that sometimes those little triggers when somebody says something and you realize, well, I can either be very quiet or I can just ask because I always did that. Well, why do you want to know? That gave me time because I thought I had to fill the space words. But you don't. You can just say nothing at all. And that to me was wonderful. You know, Kaplan <laughs> Hendricks, too, is a relationship expert, and I interviewed her for the book as well. She said an interesting thing. She said when you are in trouble in your relationship or when you're not communicating well or you're feeling prone to anger or something comes up, instead of responding or getting all fired up or arguing, just say, hmm, I wonder, and use that tone of voice, and see what comes in, because when we start to question, we get curious, and all of a sudden we're not so hostile. We don't feel angry, and we don't feel, con- and we get a minute, we get a pause to think, to root in ourselves. Again, it goes back to our behavior. Nobody's doing anything wrong. We get a chance to respond how we, you know, and, and why not respond in alignment with your spirit, which is loving and compassionate and those other things. So she said, take a breath and say, hmm, I wonder, and then See what comes. Ask a sincere question for information rather than going on the defensive or the offensive and attacking somebody. And, and that definitely is something that has helped me, too. I wonder why you would ask that question. You know, put it back uh-huh. and, and, and get information rather than, than – and, and you might discover something interesting anyhow. People are interesting why they come up with certain questions or ideas. So that's been helpful. And, yeah, and you can do that with the other person. You can say, you know, I wonder what would happen. Or what are the possibilities? Right. 
you know. Yeah. But you can also do it with you because the minute you ask you a question, what are the possibilities? Your brain is now saying, oh, I have to go through the whole computer system and see what other possibilities there are. Right. And it's trying right. to figure it out so that you're not really – you don't have to figure it out. Your brain's doing all the work, and then you get this brilliant idea. When I get these quote-unquote brilliant ideas, I know it's not me. Somebody said it to me. I said, well, I didn't it on my own, you know? I'm like, nah, I'm not that good. <laughs> I think that's a great point about the questions we ask because your brain, our brains are set up to answer them, right? I mean, that's a whole thing to, answer, to solve these problems for. So let's look at the question we ask. What are the possibilities is a great question, or, or how can I make a million dollars? If you ask questions like, why do all these bad things keep coming up in my life, you're going to get that answer too. Right. If you, you know, so, so why don't you ask questions that are going to give you an answer that will help you through the moment that, that you're experiencing? What are the possibilities or what are some of the positive ways I can handle the situation instead of, oh, why is this happening to me? Will I ever get through it? You know, which, which sends you off on a whole other series of answers. I think, I think how we talk to ourselves is really important. Yeah, if we learn to rephrase, take the negative and turn it into a positive, just like you said, instead of saying, oh, why are these horrible things happening to me? You say, you know, what are the possibilities if I were to, you know, yeah. how could I do this? What are the possibilities? I, and yeah, brain, what are the possibilities? Yeah. Yep, and if you go to sleep at night, you know how they used to say, oh, I'm going to sleep on it? Literally, you will come up with something in the morning. You really will because your brain will yeah. work on it while you're sleeping. And you don't have to do any work. You don't have to think. You're sleeping. Your brain's working. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the best ways. You know, you can get an awful lot done while you're sleeping if you program yourself prior to actually falling asleep. It, it, it is good. Uh, let me ask you this. What one thing do you feel our listeners can do today to help them enhance their spiritual practice? One thing. Okay, well, one I'll thing. give you, uh, you know, I think gratitude is, I'm going to give you two things because that's just how I roll. But oh, you gratitude can. I don't... is always a good thing. <laughs> Gratitude is always a great thing because it reminds us. Now, you may have to go through a lot of emotion and angst and stress to get to that gratitude. Um, but when you get there and you're able to see what is working, it kind of it, it shifts you to the next place. And, and as part of that, I think self-compassion is, is one of the bigger things I've learned. And there's an exercise in the book that I was not going to put in there because I thought it was kind of hokey. But I decided to practice it for a week and see what it did for me. And I'm not kidding you. It changed my experience. And that is... Next time you're really stuck or you're feeling really low or you've just made a big mistake or whatever, take a minute, take a deep breath, and give yourself a hug. Wrap your arms around your shoulders or your biceps and really feel your skin and really feel the energy in your body. What it does is, first of all, it releases a lot of endorphins and feel-good hormones when we access those points on our body, our shoulders, and so forth. The sense of touch then releases the chemical oxytocin, which makes me want to makes us want to nurture ourselves and other people. So it it changes our biochemistry so that we feel better, but it also connects you to your spirit in the sense that it's hard not to pause and be in touch with your physicality and not know you're anything less than marvelous. I mean, this is an amazing machine. We forget all that we are. And when you can pause a moment in your day and give yourself a little hug or when you're feeling really crappy about something and pause just to do that, 
you feel different. And like I said, this I was not a believer. I think this is kind of a hokey exercise. I did it for a week at the most challenging moments during that week, and it worked every time to change me, to move me from that position, to reach a place of acceptance and compassion, and it helped me go forward in my day a little easier. So it's very easy to do. Give it a try, and, and I think it'll I think it'll change your experience. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think it will because when I saw that, I thought, okay, I'll give this a shot. And I wasn't going to bring it up because... <laughs> <laughs> but you did. Oh, okay, I'll admit it. I did it too. And it does work. It does yeah. work. It absolutely works. The other huge thing that I think, and you've already mentioned this before, that um, if people really, really, sincerely, when you don't throw a thank you to anyone, sincerely look them in the eye and say yeah. thank you. It's going to make their day. It's going to make your day. You will be amazed at how good you feel when you walk away. And you have no idea what you've done to that person because you don't really know the day they're having. Right. I mean, right. you know. You go to the cash register at the grocery store and the person's not in the best mood and, you know, I'll just say, hi, how are you? And they'll say, oh, I'm having a lousy day. And I'll say, oh, what time do you get off? You know, oh, it's only a couple more hours, so try to have a good day. When you're being sincere, you can see them changing. Yes, They're, yes. It's breathing in new life. They're breathing in energy. It's wonderful to see. And when you realize that you actually help somebody else in that small way, it really lifts you up a whole bunch more. It makes you feel just so good to know that you help somebody else because, like you said, we're all made from the same stuff. Yeah. And and I will often say to people, you know, we're all made from the same stuff, so why are you going to hurt somebody else? You're only hurting you. We're all made from the same stuff. I don't get it. And people I, be like, I oh, absolutely I agree. We forget to connect to each other. And, and connecting through kindness is the most powerful thing we can do. Look somebody in the eye. So many people work in your lives to make your day work for you. I mean, really think about what has to happen to get the food in our stores and, and on the farms and, and, you know, to give us the weather forecast and get our coffee and all the things that make our lives just a little bit better. And, and if you can find that one person and look them in the eye and really connect with them in a meaningful way, you're both going to do better. Mm-hmm. And, and it is contagious. It will start, you know, yeah. it, uh, it will be an epidemic proportions if everybody tried to do this, if everybody just did a little bit more of this every day. And I think that would be something that people could just really start easily without. It doesn't take a lot except to be aware and, and to say thank you. And when you realize, oh, I said thank you, but I didn't look him in the eye. You know, when the guy gives me, we can, we're not allowed to pump our own gas in New Jersey, so I always get in trouble if I get out and start to do it. And they shove me back in the car, and I'll have to say to the guy, okay, thank you very much, and I will look at him in the eye. Yeah. They appreciate it too, you know. It, it, really, it really does work. Is the hugging, or actually let me ask you this. This might be the answer. What is the one practice that you believe has helped you the most? Um, that was the most surprising one. I think the one practice that has helped me the most is to be quietly mindful for just seconds throughout the day. Um, I, I pause at different parts of my day and really just use all my senses to be in the moment with where I am. It's brought me, it's helped me become present. It's helped lower my stress because you can't worry when you're in the moment like that. And it's really put me in touch too with gratitude because when you notice what is all about you, you also notice what's working for you. So simply mindfulness for me is really more about slowing down and paying attention more than anything else. And I, I put it in my calendar. I have to schedule this stuff. I'm not kidding you it's very practical mm -hmm. for me 
Yep. And at the transitions of my day, in the morning, at my lunch, uh, in the evening before bed, I will do this for one minute. I will just stop where I am, even if I'm washing my hands, or what, and I will have a sensory experience. I will pay attention to the water going over my hands, the sound of it dropping into the sink. Whatever experience I'm having, just for one minute, and it takes me out of this analytical, critical, brain, judgmental model and moves me into this place of acceptance and presence and and. Um, it's pretty. It's been pretty powerful for me. It's shifted it really how I go about my day. Well, I got you to write a great book, I have to say. Thank you. I, I, was it really is wonderful. You know, we're almost at the top of the hour. I can't believe it. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, your work, and where they may purchase your book? Sure. Come to imperfectspirituality.com. That's my blog. You'll get more of this kind of free information. It also has a list of my upcoming appearances on it. I'm headed to Minneapolis and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Chicago at the end of the month. So if you're in that area, come on by. And you can get the book um, by linking to the blog or by going to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or a bookstore in your neighborhood. If they don't have it on the shelf, they can order it, and most places carry it. So please go get it. Let me know what you think. You can contact me through the blog. Share your own experiences. I I think the more we can talk about this stuff together, the more we can share, the, the better it is for all of us. So I'd love to hear from people. I think I think it's great. I loved your book. As I said, it was humorous, uh, anecdote. I mean, it was just it was great. It really was. It was fun Thank to you. read. You know, I don't. I mean, I read a book a week, and yours was really fun to read. I really, <laughs> well, good. I, I really Thanks. enjoyed it. I did. And listeners, you know, we need you to spread the word. If you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, share it with your friends. Send the link to the show so that they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered on this program. You know that you hear these guests every week, and they share their time freely. They give us a minimum of 60 minutes out of their day to help us all, and they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for the wisdom and knowledge that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio from all of these wonderful guests who share their time and expertise with us. So please be sure to pass the word, make others aware, share with your friends and family so they too will be able to grow and learn and make this world better for everyone. Thank you again, Polly. I really appreciate you taking time to come on the show tonight. It's really been, I thought it was a great discussion, and and I, I love your book and I'm you know I'll go and do a review on Amazon it's going to be great I I hope a lot Thank of people you. go out and buy it it's a great book I wish you every success with it on Thank behalf you. of it's everyone privilege. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thank you for that. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 o'clock for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead and mark your calendar now so you don't forget to tune in. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantum-wellness-center.com. You will find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout this coming year although I don't know how updated it is right now because it's the start of the year. So, you know, check it out and see. <laughs> don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care.